Greetings, everyone, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Faculty Chronicles podcast at Merida College. We introduced this podcast about nine months ago, and we appreciate the faculty who have graciously joined us to talk about a topic that is also news around the country. I'm your host, Tom Perry, and today we are pleased to welcome Dr. Nicole Livingood, McCoy Professor of English. She is joining us in the basement of McKinney Hall, the friendly confines down here, to talk about the banned books phenomenon that has gained traction again in the U.S., some of the more recent books that we've heard about that have been banned include Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye, Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, and Jay Asher's 13 Reasons Why. Nicole, thank you for joining us today and for your interest in talking about this subject. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, we're going to get right into it because this is a, a, an interesting, I hate to say exciting conversation, but, but it's something that's very topical and, and newsworthy. So I, I mean, my first question is the banning or challenging of books is not new. But as an educator and someone who has a love of reading, could you share with us your thoughts on why this sort of goes through these ups and downs, these peaks and valleys of why it gains interest and then kind of disappears? Yeah. Um, first, I'll say that when I teach about banned and challenged books, I'm, I'm doing so in the context of educational or library challenges that are very organic and community or, or locally based. And from that perspective, we're definitely in a peak. The American Library Association has reported that over 1,600 titles, so individual book titles, in um, 2022 alone have been banned or challenged. And I sort of think it happens, uh, th there are peaks and valleys um, for a number of reasons, but one is that when the world feels out of control, people try to control something. I think about how many of us cleaned grout at the beginning of the pandemic. Like we could focus on that problem and we could feel like we had some sort of agency in our own lives. And I think it doesn't really matter where you live or who you are. The world has definitely felt out of control the last few, few years. And a lot of the attempts to restrict, in particular, children or uh, teenagers' readings come from the desire to protect children from things or youth from, from topics that they might not be ready for. It's the desire to sort of delay entry into the real world a little longer. So let's take it back just a little bit. Um, back you as a when you were younger, um, you know, and, and a young reader, did you have any experiences with banned or challenges books as a as a I will say a, maybe a teenager, or even as a child? Uh, no, not in terms of in a local community setting. Did somebody try to say you should not read this book and we're going to remove it from circulation? But if you think about the fact that 1,600 titles have been banned or challenged this year, I think almost everybody has read a book that has been banned or challenged in some context, just not necessarily their own. So I definitely read To Kill a Mockingbird. I read The Bluest Eye. Um, I read Shel Silverstein, but I did not know at that time that they had been banned or challenged. I did, though, have an experience that I think a lot of uh, young people have in that my mom read with me or sometimes read ahead of me, not so much to limit what I could read, but to be prepared to have conversations or to know what I was reading, particularly because I was an advanced reader. So I might have been reading at a 10th grade level, but I was only 12. And there are some topics that maybe I was not ready for. So she read a lot of Sweet Valley High novels to, to prepare the way for me and bless her for that. <laughs> well, and I, I'll go a little bit off topic. I mean, is that something you would actually recommend to people that have this concern? Is that a way to sort of have that more open dialogue with a child? Absolutely. And I think that partly goes along with there are certainly things for political or religious reasons, for example, that people might not want their children to 
know about at a certain time or prefer not to have them know about them at all. But the fact is that if there are open dialogues, it's going to be a lot more generative than shutting things down. And in fact, there are a lot of really fun jokes out there. Like if you want to get a kid to read, tell them they can't read the book. So to come alongside them and facilitate the conversation, I think is probably a lot more effective in the long run. Well, in your class about banned books, uh, you focus primarily on books that have recently been banned or challenged. What assumptions have students brought in in about banned books um, or challenged books, uh, and how have they responded to the current controversies? That's been a lot of fun, actually. I've taught the class three times, and the first time was in the fall of 2019, and that really set the tone for how I've taught it since. And that was because that group really came in with the idea, and I think understandably a lot of us have this idea, that books are somehow banished, right? And that there's some top-down person saying, no, you shall not read this. It is banished to an island. And that's not actually how it works generally in the United States. So they were really excited to think that they had been subversive. We read this book. We read Huckleberry Finn. Um, And that wasn't really how it works. So we had to work against that. Uh, But they also had some conflicting ideas, that first group. And the one was that they were very laissez-faire, and they really thought banning and challenging books was sort of this ridiculous idea. And they didn't, um, and particularly when we discussed the graphic novel Alison Bechtel's Fun Home, um, there are scenes that are not appropriate for certain age levels. There, were, there was nudity, there was sexual contact content in illustrated form, and their response was kind of like, well, this is silly because the kids are going to see it on TV anyway. So on the one hand, they didn't really have an understanding of of moral or age development and, and appropriateness. On the other hand, they were really worried that people would find things offensive. And so, oh, we shouldn't read this because it might be offensive. So there were some contradictions, and that's really... Um, set the terms for, I had, I had a lot to work with in that group. And then in subsequent years, I've kind of worked to address those issues before they come up. Great. Well, one of the things that you've mentioned that you've done in, is to create a series of assignments that lead to a role play in which students perform as characters. Can you share with us why you do this and how effective it is? Yeah, this is one of my favorite all-time assignments. And I think it really works with the liberal arts education idea that we want students to be able to think critically, to approach problems from creative and multifaceted ways. So I make a scenario in which uh, a classic novel has been replaced in in the curriculum with Angie Thomas's The Hate You Give, which is a 2017 adolescent young adult novel. And community members are concerned in this scenario that they um, that this book has has taken the place of a classic novel, and they're concerned for a number of reasons. For example, there's violence, there's uh, police violence in particular, there are um, issues of racism, there's language, and in fact, uh, the the F word appears a number of times and has been challenged on that that ground. So I ask students to create and inhabit a character, and to step outside themselves and really try to understand where a character would be coming from. And so there's a series of research assignments that that kind of build on one another. And the end goal is for them to develop a set of arguments that will use evidence to support their opinions and draw meaningfully on outside research as well as the book. And what that does is it helps them understand that when people try to ban or challenge a book or try to work against it, they're 
not always objective. There are certainly objective criteria, but sometimes they're very subjective. Uh, for example, um, we talk about how a parent would feel if their children were reading a book with, with police violence and they have been victims of violence. How would that, how would that play out in the classroom? And so it's always helpful, I think, for them to understand research as meaningful and not take the first four sources and good luck. Um, but also it really gives them a chance to engage in meaningful dialogue that's not around uh, black and white and doesn't, um, you know, really gets into the gray. And it's always very fun to see the solutions they come up with in the course of the conversation. Well, I mean, clearly just by talking to you, we can tell you have a lot of experience and knowledge about this. So you've been contacted to you know consult on these type of issues uh, uh, lo- uh, locally. Um, you know, what has your role been? What have you uh, been able to do to sort of help in these situations? Um, I was my name was given to somebody <laughs> who uh, was experiencing a challenge to a book in, in a local context, and this person really just wanted perspective. I think one of the questions was why is this happening more and more? So we talked about how there's a lot of fear. And a lot of fear of, uh, I think, in general, we say we want our children to think critically, but sometimes that means we want them to think like we do. And we don't necessarily, I'm saying we, I don't actually have children, but um, I see this in educational settings as well. Um, and so this person really wanted to know sort of what, what the concerns were, how to handle them. And I think I was able to provide just some big picture perspective that was empathetic to sort of all sides of the conversation. Okay. Um, so last question. What are some books that have been banned or challenged that might surprise people? And then there's a second part to this last question. What reasons have, uh, what reasons have they given or uh, and other books have been banned or challenged? What, what do you suggest uh, about, you know, what they could do about this? You know, these books and being challenged and being banned. Um, I'm going to take the first first part, yes. and then I might ask for, for the second part again. Yes. Um, the ones that are surprising to me, and I just have so much fun with, are kids' books. Uh, Captain Underpants, Walter the Farting Dog, the F word appears many times, and that's fart. Um, <sighs> and so that's just always kind of tickles my funny bone. Um, Marie Sendak's Where the Wild Things Are, frequently banned and challenged for a number of reasons. And then I think not really, a, it started as a children's book, but then uh, grew up into young adult, and that's the, the Harry Potter series. And people have banned and challenged that repeatedly. And I don't think it, the title surprises, but I think the reasons surprise. So for those who are saying it should be banned or challenged because it you know, perpetuates witch, witchcraft and Satanism, there's also a whole group that says, no, it's actually got a lot of Christian allegory. So I think that really shows what books do is that they... Uh, invite different perspectives and we can all look at the same thing and see it in different ways. So the second part of the question was, I I did not do a great job of trying to ask my question. It really is simply just, can you give what are the typical reasons, which I think you've already done, why books get banned and challenged? And it seems like, as I'm hearing you say, it's usually something that is a hot topic of, uh, it's either going to be race or language or something like that. But is there other things that that we're missing that usually cause books to be challenged? Um, certainly social justice issues, uh, issues of sex and gender, um, particularly regarding homosexuality or uh, intersexuality. That's certainly um, gender queer is one of the books that have been, 
I think it's number one on the list right now for having been banned and challenged in the United States. Um, I also think a lot of times it's interesting to look across time. So today, Huckleberry Finn is often banned or challenged on the grounds of how um, one of the characters, Jim, is represented in sort of racist stereo stereotypes. But in the beginning, way, way back in 1880, I think, um, people thought the language was crass and rude because Huckleberry Finn says ain't. So things change. It's very not it, – it, uh, I would say the reasons are never stable. They're always dynamic. All right. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Faculty Chronicles, and thank you to Dr. Livingood for sharing her insight and general interest in these topics with us today. If you'd like to learn more about Marietta College, please visit www.marietta.edu.